on today's episode of The Breakaway, John Morrissey, USL Tactics, joins the podcast. Uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff. His three big, three big questions so far in the USL Championship season, how Cicerone has made such a big difference, how Sebastian Herrera, despite not having scored a goal yet in the USL Championship season, making such a big difference in the Republic attack, and much, much more, including a little breakdown of San Antonio and Sacramento. Lots of good stuff on today's episode of The Breakaway. Sacramento Republic FC fans, UC Davis Health is here to keep you in the game so you can score a healthier future. From adult and pediatric care to sports medicine and orthopedics, their providers focus on achieving better health for the very young to the young at heart. Find a doctor you connect with at any of their 17 primary care clinics throughout the region, including Davis, Sacramento, Folsom, Roseville, Rockland, and more. Learn how they can support you at choosehealth.ucdavis.edu. At Elk Grove Charter School, our students chase their dreams. Students advance at their own pace. EGCS offers flexible schedules, small class sizes, and accelerated learning in a fully accredited learning environment. We help students balance their academic goals while pursuing their passions in club sports, performing arts, entrepreneurship, and much more. Elk Grove Charter School is now enrolling. Learn more by going to egcs.egusd.net or give us a call at 916-714-1653. We're confident our students will astound you. He's back on the podcast, USL Tactics on Twitter, part of the USL Show and the USL Tactics Show. John, good to see you. How's everything going? Yeah, doing really well. Happy to be back on, uh, making my first appearance of this year. Well, you're uh, typically on a lot of different USL podcasts across the league. Obviously, you have your own. Um, but I'm not asking you to pick favorites or anything. But I want to ask, on terms of, <laughs> in terms of um, Saturday's matchup, I think you mentioned it, like the Sacramento-San Antonio match, going into it, it's, it was kind of one of the biggest games of the year so far. Did it live up to your expectations in terms of competitiveness? Did it live up to, obviously there wasn't any scoring, it ended in a draw, but it, it felt pretty even. Both teams having some nagging injuries. Both teams had the midweek Open Cup match. Both Open Cup matches maybe went a little longer, was a little closer than each team would like. Um, but what did you think about where your expectations were going into that match to what actually happened in the match? I mean, coming into it from the Republic's perspective, Yes, you are at home, but you're playing against, or rather, yeah, you're playing against one of these teams that is the defending champ. They've shown time and time again that um, they can shut down a game even with these injuries. They're so good at Toyota Park. It's really a litmus test where you, when you've gone out and smacked Louisville five to nothing, you really want to come out with another big result. But you mentioned the mitigating factor of like Herrera wasn't going to get the start in this one. There was the craziest open cup match that anybody could imagine that happened midweek. So to come out, limit what they could do in terms of San Antonio's offense, I think this wasn't bad. And I think it sets you up well for the return fixture. Hopefully when you're a little bit healthier, a little bit less congested in the schedule down the road. Right. And so if you and, and not to not to tell you how we tactically lined up, because, you know, better than anybody, but we move Luis Felipe up a little bit. Right. Kind of run a little bit of a different formation because he's such a big body and how physical they are typically in the back. You move Felipe up there and yes, he can score goals, but he's playing a lot of position. Right. So you can see some of the connectivity pieces in that there. But if you have Sebastian Herrera up there, who's still got that nagging injury, 
that probably is a little bit of a difference, right? You're, you're, you're not playing a guy like Felipe out of position. Then you're maybe a little stronger uh, in the midfield. There's a lot of factors. So missing Herrera, I know we haven't seen a whole lot from him because um, this being his first year in the USL. But when he is made, even in the, I think the Louisville match when he got hurt, he was like five out of five positive actions or five out of six positive actions when he was in the game. So very, very impressive so far. And you could definitely see that Sacramento missed him trying to kind of figure out what to do up top when Luther Archimed played 120 something minutes on Wednesday. Yeah. And I mean, I think when you're playing a team that uses a back three, like San Antonio always does, it makes a real difference when you have three true forwards going against them, matching up man for man, creating those scenarios that are advantageous. And that's nothing against Luis Felipe, who I think is having a career year so far, but that's not what he does. And there were times where Sacramento lacked for the bodies in the box when they had those good moments in buildup, when you got Jack Gurr open on the wing to cross in. So even if I know I've seen some San Antonio people saying that they were the better side to me, it felt like the absence of Herrera was a bigger deal. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to denigrate them too much, but there were a lot of factors going against the Republic in this one. And I think given how the West is shaking out, Sacramento certainly is even par with them at a bare minimum. If you're thinking about a favorite right now. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I can understand. Everybody's biased. I'm biased. I get it. I I, I hope I'm openly uh, biased, like where people understand, like, yeah, he, he's, I mean, it's a Republic podcast. I'm, I work for, you know, there's obviously factors there. So I get it. When you follow a team, you know, you're going to be a little biased. So I get that perspective. It did feel like, though, the couple chances, there was a few more. I don't know. I didn't look at the expected goals, so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. But I believe Sacramento felt like they had better chances in that match. Obviously, they didn't necessarily – um, convert on them, obviously, but it did seem like there were times where Sacramento really controlled the ball. The I thought the counterattack for San Antonio or the, or the counter press, I should say, worked at times. But the game that San Antonio plays, where they lop it over the top and you you know hope something happens, I thought the back three did a really good job of handling that for Sacramento, and that the only real way that chances were created for San Antonio was mostly when they cut when they pressed converted a turnover, and then they were kind of on. That kind of felt like the moments where – and I know obviously that's a big part of their game, so I'm not trying to knock them in any way. But watching the match, that's kind of what I noticed, that Sacramento handled the initial over-the-top, um, the direct play, but at times maybe were a little bit – you know, and their, and their press is so good, so that's part of it too. No, I'm with you on that. I think – I mean, it's been true all season long that the Wheat, Donovan, uh, Jared Timmer core has been – pretty much mistake free at back. I think Sacramento has given up one goal all year in league play. Yeah. Like, that speaks to the fact that, I mean, against, if you look at back to back weeks against a Louisville team that tries to possess the ball, break you down very patiently is a little bit more plotting with the tempo. You keep the clean sheet one week later, you're playing the complete opposite system. A team that is trying to counter press you get out as quickly as possible, play over your back line with long balls you keep another clean sheet that says it all for where this team is right now in terms of hitting the ground running with their chemistry, uh, the way that they're rotating and covering for one another when you have to step up and make a play. It's really excellent to see. 
Choosing the right health plan for you and your family is simple with Western Health Advantage. Their plans include wellness programs that put you in the game and on the field with ways to stay fit and healthy. Check out their affordable plans that have been keeping our community strong for over 25 years. Go online to westernhealth.com. That's westernhealth.com for more information. Made in the Shade Tent Rentals is your number one choice for tent rentals in Sacramento and throughout Northern California. From concerts and festivals to corporate events, outdoor dining to private special events, construction, manufacturing, or farming, whenever you need shade, whatever the occasion, we've got you covered. Visit madeshade.com to inquire about options. That's M-A-D-E shade.com. Yeah, I'm excited because I feel like, you know, I, I know that, you know, we, Timmer and Donovan, have been so solid in the back, but I did feel like, okay, if these guys are vulnerable, where are they vulnerable? Well, maybe those over the top balls, if they have a, you know, a striker with some serious pace, maybe you can then get in behind, but, and I know they, they were missing some pieces as well, but it felt like that was not even a, an issue in any way, shape or form. I thought the back three did an incredible job of um, being able to, I mean, I felt like every header from the back three was won by those guys. Um, and that, that's a really encouraging sign. I want to ask, as we kind of shift up the field a little bit, Russell Cicerone, who I think has had such a good start to the season, he's been so good, um, kind of a good matchup for him because he's such a physical player, doesn't go down. We talked on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he's a former hockey player, so you can see that hockey build in him because of the way he fights through almost everything at, at almost to a cost. Like He doesn't go down when he's getting fouled because he's just so used to playing through it. But seeing him kind of play and see how he breaks down, what have you seen compared last year versus this year in terms of how Sacramento can break down teams and get into dangerous areas? Yeah, I think it is the presence of Ciceroni where, say what you will about Douglas Martinez, I think that he had a lot of quality in terms of the way he could drift out onto the wing, force defenses to rotate, but he didn't have that ability to kind of shoot from everywhere make opponents respect his scoring threat across the pitch. And Ciceroni combines the ability to move around, rotate with Rodrigo Lopez, be flexible, while also providing a goal threat whenever he touches the ball. So that is going to naturally force the opposition to sort of lose their shape, get distracted by what he's doing. And then it becomes this catch-22 decision of, well, shoot, we have to close down on Rodrigo Lopez or he's going to make us pay. Then Cicerone's in space, and the result is that he's in the running for the golden boot right now. Um, I just think he adds that extra degree of variability. The question for me coming into the year was, would he operate as more of a proper number nine? Would he play off of a striker? I think given how good Herrera has been as that more typical playing in the middle hold-up kind of guy answers the question easily enough. Uh, and that's really better for what Ciceroni does. He's been more of a midfielder or winger with Pittsburgh in the past, uh, with, I think, Rochester as well. Um, so he's playing as more of a striker, I would say, but certainly not that number nine that you're seeing from Herrera. But the fit has been perfect so far. So let me ask you about Herrera a little bit. I mentioned his actions in that Louisville City game. And I don't think he scored a goal, at least in the USL Championship. I'm pretty sure. Maybe he has one and I'm missing it. So I apologize, Sebastian, if I'm missing that. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. What has he done that has impressed you so much? Because you want, you want a nine to score goals. That's what he's in there to do. But you're mentioning all the other things that he is doing so well. Um, what is it that he has done that has really jumped out to you? Yeah, it's that ability, 
even without the goal scoring, that if Sacramento wants to play long, if Danny Vidiello is restarting and just punting it downfield, Herrera is going to be there to contest every single long ball and win a lot of them. He's very good physically. Uh, off of turnovers, he's been at least aggressive in the press. Uh, he's always there to close down on opponents and make sure that if they're trying to counterattack off of a turnover, they're not going to be able to do it easily. Um, when Sacramento gets into the final third, he's very good about his movement. He's constantly getting into the channels, riding the back shoulder of the defenders to open up space for your Lopez's, your Cicerones, your Kekos to create in. Um, just the gravity that he brings forces opponents to get a little bit narrow. And then you're seeing like a Jacker, a Damia Villadere to get the into the wide areas and cross. He's the kind of striker who does every single one of the subtle things that you want that really makes a difference. And he's doing it. I know I mentioned like Douglas Martinez was more of a drifter who gets wide a little bit. Herrera is constantly in the mix. And I think that has really done a lot for the way that the Republic attack this year. And his holdup play. I mean, he will Ah. hold up like no other, which is incredible to see. Um, he's very good aerially. We haven't really seen a whole lot of this, you know, in goal scoring opportunities yet, or in terms of he hasn't gotten rewarded for it, but it seems like his play when he's been on the field, they don't have him against San Antonio, his play. And if you look at the goal differential, this kind of shows the, you know, the plus minus aspect. I know it's not a thing in soccer, but if you do think about it like that, him on the field versus him off the field, his ability and the team's kind of paying attention to him and his actions has allowed others to, be better and get more opportunities. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's the perfect way of summing up his game right now. I love it. I, I'm so interested to see kind of how that changes throughout the year, how teams adjust to various things. Because it seems like right now, in terms of in the forward position, because we talked, you know, I think the USL did a thing on like the three-headed monsters in the forward positions. And right now, you know, Roro and um, and Cicerone, obviously Roro's kind of playing more of a, a forward role than – We've kind of seen him in that little bit of that forward role. You think of him as a midfielder, but really if you watch how he plays, he's playing more as a forward. And then Sebastian Herrera. So I'm interested to see how teams kind of make adjustments to what Sacramento has done in these first, what has it been, five games? But if you look at game by game, and let's go back to the Charleston game for a second. If you take a back, you take a look, take a step back. How much better does a draw against Charleston down to 10 men look after five weeks when you've seen how they've matched up against other teams in the East? The way that Charleston, I mean, I've mentioned the play styles from Louisville and uh, San Antonio so far. Charleston is kind of playing like Louisville when Louisville had their game right and was constantly winning the East. Like, they've been tremendous. I think they're the leader in uh, margin by expected goals so far this year. So going there, like, that game is a big deal when you look at the schedule right now, just given the fact that Sacramento is undefeated and they've done it against pretty much as hard a schedule as you could draw up, that's huge right now. It's incredible. And I know we don't really have a schedule difficulty stat right now. Do you have, I don't, do you have one? I'm not sure you might, you might have. I did one in the preseason, but I mean, that changes so much when like I thought Charleston was going to be okay. And now they're a Titan. So like, it's, it's kind of useless. You throw it out the window, but yeah. So you factor in this because this is something that I wanted to touch on as well. We talked about early on in this in this season how important this first six, seven game stretch is. We didn't factor in a tough open cup match midweek. We did not factor that in. But just talking about you play 
San Diego. You, we didn't really even throw in El Paso on the road, which is historically a tough place to play. You didn't even mention Charleston. We kind of threw those out a little bit. You take the these next games, which has been uh, San Diego, Louisville. Now, both of those are at home, so obviously that's those are matches you want to win. They get uh, three points in both those. San Antonio on the road, then you go on – uh, you go ba- back at home to Colorado this weekend. That four-game stretch is four of the top five teams that finished in the league last year, and you play them in the first six games. Now you combine that with the fact that Charleston is, as you mentioned, a Titan. I'm going to use your word. Um, it makes this start of schedule very difficult, and the fact that Sacramento is still undefeated, I'm feeling good. I'm, John, I'm feeling good. Am I, do I have a right to feel good? Well, so for the uh, power ranking piece that I do weekly for backfield, I've had Sacramento number one back-to-back weeks now. So I'm kind of with you on feeling good about where this team is at right now. Well, I like that. That make that makes me feel better. See, I didn't know if I was drinking the Kool-Aid too much. This is why it's good for you to come on and and, and either knock me off the pedestal or um, make me feel better about it. So I appreciate it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about around the league. Um, various teams that we've seen we've been going for 15 minutes, mostly on Sacramento. And I wanted to touch on the San Antonio game a lot because I thought that was very telling of where these two teams are at. And I want to also remind everybody, like both games last year versus San Antonio were very, very competitive matches. Sacramento beat them one nil at home. And I think it was a draw on the road. I can't remember now, but it was close. I know that because it was a good match. Um, where, ha- what have you seen? What teams do you think, is it going to be the same group at the top? I know in the East, it's kind of been, a little bit off, but in the West specifically, we can start there. Is it the same four teams that you expect to see from last year, the Sacramento, San Diego, San Antonio, Colorado, and those is kind of your, your teams to start off? I think that's a good baseline for if I had to pick four teams that I'm pretty sure are going to make the playoffs. That's the safe bet. The one to watch has to be Phoenix rising, just given the scope of what they did to rebuild that team in the off season. They, too, have had a lot of injuries, but they're finally getting healthy. Uh, They went on the road to Birmingham, the best team in the East to date, and got a really nice away win the other night. Uh, Danny Trejo is rolling. Uh, It's nice to see him and a team that's actually decent rather than at Las Vegas for the past couple of years. So they feel like a team that has figured it out in terms of a really high-pressing system. Uh, They're going to be there at the end of the day. Yeah. Can I jump in and ask a question on them? Sure. Uh, they had a bad year last year. It kind of reminds me of Sacramento coming off of 2021 where they didn't make the playoffs, didn't have a good year. They completely rebrand their roster, rebrand, re, re, redo everything on their roster. It's going to take them a while, right, to get up to – because it's going to – you know, a lot of new pieces. It's going to take them a while to get back to maybe their potential or even their ceiling. Is that right? Yeah, I think and, – and you've seen it with these first couple weeks where I think they've only got five points in four matches – Already, though, I'm, you can just see the way that they're playing is so much visibly better than what it was last year, where they felt very rudderless. Uh, some of the high-profile signings that they brought in have had some really good moments. They feel like a team that's going to squeak into the playoffs, probably, but be a real threat because they've rounded into form when that time comes. Interesting. And then let's go out east for a second, because um, Louisville, I think, came off a 3-0 loss to El Paso, if I'm remembering correctly, and then played Sacramento, lost 5-0. Like, all of a sudden, it was like a free fall. I think they obviously rode the ship a little bit last weekend. Tampa Bay's had some kind of shocking losses, some, like, un-Tampa Bay, un-Louisville-type performances. Charleston, a team that didn't make the playoffs last year and was 
pretty bad. They, again, kind of restructured everything, new head coach. Memphis has fallen. You could make the cause because of the head coach change. That's a big reason. But what are you seeing out east about, you know, it's so early. There's been so many different results that you're like, okay, how much do I read into this result? How much do I not? But what have you seen kind of round into form in terms of what your thoughts are? Yeah, I mean, just to start with the big two, I think Louisville and Tampa Bay are both going to be fine. They, it, it seems like it's universal that pretty much all the big teams in the USL are having injury issues right now. Uh, Louisville was especially afflicted at those central defensive spots. And I mean, Sacramento and El Paso completely took them the task because of it. They're dependent on that high defensive line that they play. So when you're rotating players in and out using rookies there, it's going to be tough. Uh, yeah. And they rebounded nicely in the past week. Tampa Bay right. also was missing, yeah, missing Lewis Hilton in the midfield. I, I think it's underrated how important he is just with his positioning, what he does defensively. They've got too much talent to suffer for long. Um, just to hit on Memphis, I think that is an interesting scenario where Ben Pierman doesn't get what he wants salary-wise, moves to Charleston. Um, he's really a magician in his ability to scout players and turn these diamonds into rough and into real contributors. And Memphis is seeing the reverse side of that, where Pierman's sixth sense for taking a player and highlighting what they do best hasn't been replicated by Stephen Glass. And their defense has been really shoddy in particular. They brought in Bill Hamid, the former U.S. national team keeper, but the issue wasn't really the goalie to begin with. Their defense is just a sieve. So I'm curious to see what gives there. Um, just to shout out one more, I think Detroit City has been rather poor to start. I know that uh, they're one of the more vocal fan bases out there, and they were pretty adamant in terms of the club's messaging and what the fan base was echoing that despite a lower budget, they really were going to be able to repeat the trick where they had a great expansion season by bringing up a lot of NISA guys. And that just hasn't been the case. Really none of their signings have hit the ground running to date. So I think that's something to watch going forward out East. Can I ask you like your big three, big three question marks you still have to date? on where we're at in the league. It could be players, it could be teams. Um, but I would, you know, just to, in terms of like, you know, old sports radio segment, that's a nice, nice little, uh, nice little segment I try to throw in. So like, what, what are your big question marks you still have? If you have three, maybe you have more than that um, as we sit on April 10th. Yeah. Um, just to start with a Western one, I know you invoked Colorado Springs, but are they for real? They lost so much talent they're sitting on 10 points in five games in the mix at the top of the West, but they've had a light schedule. They've really not looked very impressive in what they're doing. So I'm curious to see what happens when they face some tougher teams. Um, I think in the East, the big question for me, how real is Birmingham as a threat up top? They've been pretty dependent on Tyler Pasher to kind of come up with these moments of magic and score goals out of nothing when it matters. And that's why you sign Pasher as a player, but is that enough to carry them over the line down the stretch? Um, and boy, I guess my other question would be, who can be the dark horse in the West? Uh, we talked about El Paso in reference to that 3 nothing game against Louisville, and um, they started the season real poorly under new management, new manager for the third time in three years, in fact. 
they're mercurial, but when they figured out the defensive issues, they've looked really good. Can they be the team? I know Oakland's been in very good form. I question the just sheer talent that they have up top, but they're really systematically looking strong. So, and Monterey leads the league in goals to date so far. So who in that second year in the West is possibly looking to take the step up? I've talked about it on this podcast recently where the West feels like a very tiered system right now where you got your Western contenders, then you have your could upset some of those teams in terms of like a single elimination set upset, like, and then you have your fringe playoff teams and then below, right? Is that kind of fair to estimate right now from where everything kind of stands and how everybody looks? To me, it feels like Sacramento, San Antonio, San Diego, and then probably there's an aspect of everyone else after that. But I mean, people could agree or disagree, throw in the switchbacks maybe, but that's where I'm at. Interesting. Okay. So we play Colorado this weekend at home, um, which is going to be an interesting match. A couple of you know, players returning to Lucroix, Malik Foster, uh, Matt Mahoney, a couple of different guys like that who are former Republic players. So we're excited for that, obviously. They do have a lot of new faces, the two I mentioned, obviously. Um, but what are they changing the way they're playing at all? They, they missed, obviously, no Misha Kalina. There's no Haji Berry. There's some big holes that need to be filled. They obviously brought in some players that can do that. But is do you feel, and you kind of mentioned already, you didn't think that, but do you think that they are going to have enough talent to kind of fill some of those major holes that they lost either last year or last offseason? A lot of the players they brought in were really veteran guys in the USL context. I'm thinking about like a Speedy Williams in the midfield, Deshane Beckford out wide, Patrick Segrist at left back. I think my question mark was, were they going to be able to gel and did they have that one big difference maker who can change a game like in the mold of the Tyler Pasher that I mentioned or like a row row for Sacramento? And they've succeeded so far by slowing down the tempo compared to what they did last season, uh, trying to play a little bit more of a methodical game where based out of their three, five, two formation, you play as patiently as you can. You look for that one moment when you can get some joy out wide and then cross back in against the defense that's rotating. I think that Sacramento is kind of designed to shut that down just given the Republic's shape is not conducive to allowing those sorts of chances, but I've been wrong about Colorado Springs a lot this season. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them change things up. I know last week they used a false nine and benched Malik Foster sort of as he was healing from an injury. So they're willing to make some changes based on situation and matchup. So that'll be interesting to see for sure. All right. Last question before I let you go, this has been so fantastic. So thank you again. Um, what players from Sacramento has stood out to you? We already mentioned Ciceroni and what he can do, but who else has stood out for you as um, being a, a big, big factor so far early in this season? Yeah, I mean, I think two players have really stood out. First and foremost has to be Jack Gurr. He's always been one of the better fullbacks, wingbacks in the league, but he probably has been the best of anyone out there so far this year. It's what he what he does defensively, of course, is always just pristine, but he's added another layer to his offensive game. And I think a lot of it has been that pairing with Ciceroni where Gurr has been totally. liberated to find more space to get up there on the underlap and the overlap. Uh, he got a goal early on in the year after 
pretty bizarrely not getting one last season. So that was great for him. But well, it took him forever. He hit the post like seven times last yeah. year, and he got one uh, game two. Yeah, fantastic. I think he's got two already. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then just quick shout out though for Arnold Lopez, who was pretty much yes. an unknown quantity for me coming into the year. I mean, whenever somebody signs from outside the USL, I try and try my best to find tape on them and see what I can get. And that was just a blank spot for me. But I mean, he's driven Lagrasa to the bench pretty comfortably. And everyone knows how good Matt Lagrasa is. So that says enough. And he's bearing it out with these performances as really that defensive player who's letting Luis Felipe play a little bit more of an attacking minded game, yeah. sweeping up everything in front of that back line. So he's been a stud. He's made some tackles that have oh, yeah. been very impressive. I mean, the, I think the goal against El Paso, it was a tackle that he made in the open field and then it caused Sacramento to go on a counter and score. So uh, he's been massive. And like, here's the thing too, when Lagrasa's come in, He's looked like I think he pl- he played obviously this weekend with Luis Felipe kind of playing forward. He's looked good too. So it's like now you're in a tough situation if you're Mark Briggs. Like, what do I do? Um, I- and I want to ask lastly, did you were you able to find any film on Sebastian Herrera coming into it? Because he scored, he came in mid preseason. So it's like he's still getting acclimated to the system, but he's made such a big difference when he's been on the field versus when he's been off. And you know, hopefully he's back for Saturday. We don't know for sure. We're crossing our fingers, obviously, but. Were you able to kind of see what his game is like? Because when I've gone to training, he's been so impressive aerially, which bodes well for Sacramento, who does whip in a lot of crosses, specifically from that right side with Jack Kerr. No, he was another one where I couldn't find much about him. There was a little bit more statistically, just because you can get that with forwards in a way that is less possible for central midfielders. So I think that was why I was a little bit curious about like what role would Ciceroni take coming into the year. But the fact that Herrera can be that very classic number nine has been just massive for this team. Did you enjoy my breaking news podcast on Ciceroni? Fantastic stuff. I love, yeah, love that. <laughs> uh, big J journalist over here, you know, John, I try to do what I can. <laughs> classic you. Yeah. Uh, well, dude, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This was fantastic. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I feel like I learned a lot as well. And I know we'll, we'll do it again soon. So thank you again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Our thanks to John Morrissey for joining the podcast coming up later this week on this feed and i also want to mention every episode will now be on youtube so if you want to watch the watch the episode you can do so on youtube but coming up later this week armando boteo will interview arnold lopez in spanish on the breakaway in espanol and that's coming up later this week on the breakaway we thank you for your support of this podcast if you haven't listened to every episode recently go back we got some great player interviews Uh, that have come in the last month or so. So go back, take a look into the archives. We thank you for your support of this podcast. And as always, Core Public.